You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. Golf's been in a boom, but you didn't need me to tell you that. Full tee sheets and massive boosts in membership after coronavirus restrictions were eased shocked the sport out of a decade-long slump, to the surprise of players and clubs alike. But now we're entering a different phase, with society essentially fully opened, along with all those competing leisure activities that were shut when golf had a free run in the summer of 2020, we'll soon know whether the surge we saw is here to stay or just a fortunate blip created by circumstance. As clubs prepare to go into a membership renewals period in January and April, what must they do to safeguard and capitalise on the opportunity they've been handed over the past 18 months? I'm joined on this week's From the Clubhouse podcast by Playmore Golf's Chief Executive Alistair Sinclair to consider what faces clubs and how the sport can keep the pandemic participation feast going. Alistair, welcome back to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Hi, Steve. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Uh, interesting times for golf. Um, who knows what's going on with the pandemic? But let's take the assumption that, crossed fingers, there aren't going to be any lockdowns in the future and that golf will be able to um, crack on as it has over the summer. How, how do you feel the landscape for golf looks at the moment from your viewpoint at Playmore Golf? Um I think the word is opportunity, um, but it's not going to come easy. Uh, there are lots of indicators going on uh, in the background that uh, several companies, along with ourselves, have been monitoring and following with regards to uh, course utilisation over the summer. And when you then start looking at the news that's coming out uh, with regards to the UK economy and uh, what's going to be happening into 2022, it's suddenly uh, looking to uh, mean that people have to take uh, some steps to make sure that they're providing a service that will actually meet the demands of the golfer. It's not going to be as easy as it was in 2020 and 2021. Um, I think that's for definite. Um, I don't think it's going to be necessarily doom and gloom, uh, but people have to work quite hard to make sure that the people that came in uh, over the post-COVID period, uh, remain as members or frequent participants of courses. Well, let's take those two things separately. We'll come on to the economy um, in a little bit because I think that is interesting, particularly with the um, news about national insurance, particularly. Um, so let's start with participation. Um, so we saw the uh, figures from uh, BRS Golf Now. Um, just recently that were looking at uh, visitor rounds um, and uh, they looked at um, nearly 2000 golf clubs and found for the first time a month on month and a year on year drop in visitor rounds for since the pandemic started compared with how they looked at 2019, 2020 and overall, obviously 2021. Now, I mean, c clearly they're. Um, their conclusions were that there is still a boom going on. I mean, participation was still high. Um, but how do you consider that 
first drop um, from those figures? Is it something that you just expected because this thing can't go on forever or is it an indicator that times are about to change? Um, it hasn't been a surprise to us. Um, last year, I think everyone could see that these sheets were absolutely chocker. There was no, uh, you know, a lot of pressure coming on, uh, a lot of golf clubs having to work very hard to actually get all seven-day members in, flexible members and visitors in as well. And uh, I think that was definitely uh, quite a tough process. And you know, people learned a lot through that process as well about, you know, how integrations with T-sheets really operated, et cetera, where was the, uh, the spare times and how you could actually push people into those uh, slots in order to maximise the yield. This year, uh, right from the get-go, uh, once we got past the uh, opening of golf uh, back at the start of the year, we could see that T-time utilisation was considerably lower. Um, and you could just see that within the T-time um, availability at golf clubs and through our partner clubs. Um, and we can look at other sort of services as well to see what utilisation is there as well. So it's not come as a surprise to us that report. We saw that shift happening round about June time. And when we spoke to a lot of our partner clubs, we asked them what they were going to do with regards to their pricing strategies for green fees, because we'd obviously seen a pretty much 100% increase in green fees from um, previous years going through and asking them how sustainable they thought that would be. Um, and lo and behold, you know, the June stats that um, come from Golf Now uh, and the July stats as well, showing a 30% drop off in Vista traffic echoes exactly what we were mapping. August, not quite so bad for us. Um, we've seen about 22% drop off in the amount of rounds per member booked in a month. Um, so it's it's softened as well. Um, a flexible member, I think, he's probably got a little bit more um, the playing ability compared to some other type of golfers in there as well. They're not a high utiliser by any stretch of imagination, but definitely, definitely see there's a softening there, and um, and that will then carry on, we believe, through into next year as well. So uh, it's not as busy as uh, as it was in 2020. I mean, interesting for you because your company deals with renewals all year round. Um, so obviously a member who signs up for Playmore Golf has essentially 365 calendar days or 364, whatever the maths are, and then they renew. So you're not fixed to January or April or September or any of the dates uh, a normal golf club would be. I mean, are you starting to see... Um, changes in pattern in the renewals of membership of your members? Are they going up? Are they going down? Are they sort of staying the same? Um, there is always a seasonality um, to the business. I mean, it would be remiss to say there wasn't because golf does have a, you know, a seasonal edge to it. Uh, what we have seen this year in particular is that there has been uh, a considerable move from uh, flexible membership up into full membership categories at our partner clubs. Uh, and that's pretty much what our journey has to be, and that's what one of our sort of uh, USPs is, is bringing uh, new members in. Uh, it has meant we've had to work particularly hard to actually fill in that book as well. Um, but as far as the renewals are concerned, it has been pretty much like for like for us, but we've actually seen you know a, a noticeable move up into full membership, which is a great benefit for our partner clubs.
Yeah, I suppose the point I was getting to was um, there are certain sectors of the golf industry who think that it is inevitable that clubs will see some decline in membership next year as people move back to other leisure activities that they weren't able to do in the past. And I think if we were going to see that sort of trend, we might see it with companies like yours first, where you're not tied to that kind of renewal. And 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 if people were moving away, for example, from play more golf, where you obviously have a flexible membership that is can be considerably cheaper than a traditional membership model, that might be an inkling of what's to come. Um, yeah, there's definitely some numbers in there um, that sort of indicate that and point towards that. Um, and we've been working very hard in order to then actually bring um, more people into uh, the, the top of the funnel, if that's the right way of calling it, on their journey into sort of full membership with our partner sites. It, it has been, you know, a tougher um, season for us compared to the previous year, definitely. Um, I think where we're sort of very much minded is what's going to be happening next year. And when we look at uh, all the economic factors that are uh, being the forecast at the moment, it's really trying to ask that question as to actually what is the disposable income going to be of the average golfer who is a member and how are they going to basically spend that uh, next year? Because I don't think there's any great surprise here. Um, I think that Christmas is going to be a lot more expensive than we've experienced beforehand with inflation coming through at the rates that we've seen I mean, you look at some of the, the stats that are being sort of put through and uh, you know, last month alone, they're saying that inflation rose to 3.2%. Well, that's the highest it's been since 2012. And it's only looked like it's going to get higher and higher and higher. So that is a concern, definitely. And when we have to then think about you know, golf being a leisure pursuit, um, it is you know, discretionary expenditure, um, that has to basically play out. And we've been doing a lot of um, work with our clubs, asking them how they feel next year is going to pan out. Um, and the, the interesting thing is we do that not just with our own partner clubs, but with sort of prospective partner clubs as well. And once you get beyond the initial, we've had a great year and you know we've got a full membership, we've even got a waiting list, yeah, bank account is, is the best it's been for a considerable amount of time. And you start asking them, well, what do you think is happening next year? Then all of a sudden, there's a lot more questions that start to emerge that a lot of people haven't necessarily budgeted factors or thought through sufficiently. And that's where we've been doing a lot of work with people sort of saying, well, actually, you know, what if this were to happen? What's your contingency plan for it? Um, and waiting list is a great one. You know, one of the questions that we, we regularly ask people is, it's great to hear you've got a waiting list, but when was the last time you engaged with that waiting list? And do you know how many waiting lists that person is actually on? Um, because that's where, once you start to really understand that, and you look at the engagement level of those people, you start to question whether that is really a, a banker as far as you're going to get those people being available if you're concerned that your renewal rates aren't going to be quite so high. I mean, we're hearing people now forecasting 20, 30% drop in their renewal rates for next year. And you know that waiting list might not necessarily always be there. So how you can get those people engaged now at that golf club is a, 
a key thing um, because you want to make sure that you're having that relationship with them. Yeah, well, let's talk about the economy then, because that might be behind some of the pessimism that you're seeing with some of your clubs around renewal rates. I mean, we're looking at, I mean, you, you talked about inflation at 3.2% at the moment. Most economists think it'll get to at least 4 um, before it starts to bottom out, maybe at the end of this year. Maybe Christmas will will, will, will help that along a bit further. Um, the national insurance rise comes into effect in uh, next April. That is obviously going to uh, cost people hundreds of pounds in most cases. Um, you know, and, and obviously, if you've got two people working in the family more, potentially, the end of furlough, um, and the um, support mechanism that has brought for, um, for for millions of people really through the pandemic. I mean, these are the squeeze is starting, isn't it? I mean, we all knew everyone's known at some point we would have to pay for COVID. And yeah. now we're starting to. And as you say, you know, for a leisure industry like golf, the removal of hundreds of pounds in people's pay from national insurance, you know, the rising cost of food and other resources through inflation. I mean, that that is going to necessarily make people have a look at what they're spending their leisure cash on. Indeed, indeed. And, it, and I think it just it needs people to step back and just think about what it is that, A, the golf wants from a golf club and, um, and not necessarily making it one size fits all, because um, we've always been an advocate that you know, actually membership comes in various different shapes and sizes and you look to basically fit that to the demands of the consumer and that's where flexible golf uh, memberships has come about because it gives that intermediate step uh, between your full seventh day and then someone coming in just as a, a visitor golfer that you haven't really got that sort of recurring revenue stream coming from so Really, when people look at what they're actually offering and considering, you know, how can they maximise their profit? It, it doesn't have to be necessarily that everything has to be pushed into a seven or a five day membership and actually anticipating that there could be a decline uh, in those revenues um, is, is really the most important stuff because you don't want to have people leaving the club. People have spent time now trying to build these relationships. And it's maintaining those relationships because in time, these people will come back to being full members again. And that's obviously the, the journey that we obviously push people down. Um, so it, it's not necessarily doom and gloom uh, by any stretch of imagination. It's, it's more a case of its opportunity there. Um, but it's also understanding actually what the makeup of people's membership is at the moment. Um, one of the other things that we ask quite a lot, which is, how and in what categories did you see the most growth within your membership base over the last 18 months? Are there any patterns that have emerged? And one of the um, sort of you know, consistent things we see is that the intermediate category has been something that has exploded at a lot of clubs. So this 24 to 35 year old membership base. We then ask them the question about, well, have you got any statistics? Because a lot of you know people can now pull out a lot of sort of information about the playing patterns of these members um, because they can see it on online bookings, etc. And when you ask them, what are some of the pressures that you're seeing at your club at the moment? And by and large, typical mem uh, members club would say 
it's my Saturday and Sundays are now absolutely chock-a-block. Therefore, we're at capacity. You know, therefore, we're cutting off our membership numbers. We can't put any more people in. And you say, well, have you thought about it from a revenue perspective and looked through and saying, yeah, how much is it these people actually paying that are actually at your club? And you suddenly realise that you've got an intermediate category that you're charging maybe two-thirds, uh, maybe even less than that compared to your full membership. And you find out that they're playing more than actually your traditional seven-day members. And you're going, well, if you start doing the numbers on that and working out what that means you're getting per round, you could be at sort of less than five pounds a round that you're basically selling this to. So I think there's a lot of sort of thinking and designing that people can sort of step back and think, well, actually, I can now look and understand what my premium slots are and what I'm actually charging for this and how I can overall increase the yield that I can achieve for my um, PC. And I think that's an important thing because even if you're seeing some element of fall in your actual full member numbers, that doesn't necessarily need to meet, it compute back to what your profit is you're going to make at your golf club. And that's where we do a lot of work um, within you know, our, our own partner base, but also the guys that we speak to other clubs. And we sort of have that sort of trusted advisor type relationship that we build with people because, you know, there's lots of people where at this point it's not the right time to work with us um, and we say well look you know you could be someone for the future we want to work with but giving that type of information and helping people look at how they can actually navigate what might be copier waters ahead um, is really sort of uh, what we're about. Is this a wake-up time for golf? I, I don't want to be pessimistic about it because I think that you know nobody's suggesting that we're suddenly going to go back to the days of declining membership. I mean, golf's had a real boost from from the pandemic, you know, whether it's right to say it like that or not. And I don't think anyone's suggesting that all of these people are suddenly going to go away and go back into other sports. I mean, a lot of them will stick. But um, whether you like to say it like this or not, the pandemic has given golf an opportunity. And it's, in a, it's been in a position for the last two years that it hasn't been. For many years. So in, when I say wake up, I mean in the sense of let, try and grasp the opportunity that's been provided here and not let it kind of willow away. I think that's, that's definitely the way to look at it. I think it's looking at the opportunity rather than necessarily coming in with sort of doom and gloom and pessimism. It's saying that you know, there has been this amazing opportunity presented um, and it's inevitable there's going to be some further change going ahead. It's not going to stay as it was. Um, but it's basically trying to do the best the industry can in order to capture and keep these people interested in the sport. And we have to be mindful that there are going to be other activities that are going to be competing now for that um, interest from parties, or even if you put it in the cooler sense, their money. Um, and it's making sure that golf basically is still in that sort of top five of people's activities and pursuits to make sure that it remains there. There will be a drop off in numbers compared to the amount of people that picked up a golf club within the pandemic. But the hope and expectation is that the overall net amount of people in participation of the sport has increased. And that's good news. Um, and clubs need to be just mindful and not shut themselves off to going back to a position saying actually 
you know, we should really just try and keep what we did last year. They've got to be mindful that it is moving and, and react to that. So how can they react to that, Alistair, then? Because it's a situation many of them will never have experienced before. I mean, golf pre-pandemic had been in a either gradual decline or hanging on stability for the best part of a decade and a half. I mean, unless you're a golf club manager who's been around for a long, long time, all you've known is managing gradual decline or sudden explosion in numbers. So how do, how do golf clubs essentially get to grips with what is going to be a new situation for them? Well, I think the first thing that everyone has to do, regardless of what their industry is, is that you actually ask and speak to your customer. So speaking to the member, speaking to people who are visitors to the golf club, um, surveys, getting as good a picture as possible as to what people are actually thinking, that will help people manage expectations. Once you've actually got that as basically being through your foundation, you can then start looking at how you can meet those expectations. Um, and that's really the principle that everyone has to go through. That's what we go through as well. We survey people left, right and centre. Um, but with that, you've then got the ability to then say, well, actually, I think I can anticipate what's going to be coming our way. And then you can then start saying, well, actually, are we addressing it just the right way or not? Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily you know, a committee coming up with that idea on their own. You know, there's lots of different avenues that people can speak to about pooling together advice and um, different people's sort of experiences as to what they're doing. So I say, you know, we are seeing clubs that have different membership renewal periods throughout the year as well. So you can track that and see whether that's an indicator of where the industry is going. So. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a lonely place. You know, there is lots of people that are all working together for the great and good of the industry. And um, I think that pulling together people's experiences is vital, but understanding exactly what your customer is thinking is crucial. So how do you persuade people to do that? Because none of what you're saying there is particularly new. I mean, surveys and so on. Yeah. I've been around for a long time, but, but I mean, from my anecdotal experience of being a member of down the years of, you know, several clubs, I, I know of instances of clubs that surveyed me all the time and clubs where I've managed to go through the entirety of a membership and even an exit without being spoken to once. So, I mean, it's, it's such an individual thing, isn't it? So how do you, how do you kind of get an industry standard for that when clearly what everyone needs, what we need is a whole picture in the industry is for, to know what everyone else is up to. Um, I think there's definitely a job for the industry in itself to, um, to be working closer and together um, on different types of initiatives like, because uh, it'd be a real shame if we lost this, um, this advantage. So, you know, some of the governing bodies, you know, working together um, closer uh, would be definitely advantageous, uh, I believe. Um, and it's, it's just sharing best practice as well. Um, that's what I think, you know, businesses like us, that's what we can do. We can actually share uh, that information that we've basically gleaned. You know, it doesn't have, it's always anonymized. You know, we're not sort of going to be basically, you know, giving people privy information, but it's saying actually, that's interesting. We've actually experienced or we've heard of similar situations and we know how other people dealt with this. I think that's where a lot of benefit can be um, gleaned because historically, I don't 
think that actually that amount of sharing of best practice has always been as prevalent. And um, I think that's something that should be happening a lot more. Yeah, certainly organisations like the GCMA are trying to are trying to in, do that right now. Indeed. Let, let, let me take you down um, a couple of tangents, if I may, that um, may seem unrelated to this, but we may get to the point of it. Um, COVID forced golf clubs to uh, do things in a particular way, whether it was um, knowing exactly where your members were on the golf course or bringing in clubhouse restrictions. What we're seeing now, and particularly in the private sector, as restrictions are eased, golf clubs are very keen because it's what their members want in a lot of cases to go back to how it was before. One of those things is is um, the continual uh, roll-up versus T-sheet debate. I mean, obviously, you see both sides of this. Um, how do you think that that can resolve itself? Is it up to individual clubs or those that are going from maybe what was a very structured point during COVID to now essentially a free-for-all? Is that hurting them? I think there's a balance between the two, if I'm honest. Um, you know, that roll-up uh, scenario that's very much the domain of you know, your seven-day member. And if we look at how they're actually playing, it's particularly going to be your Saturday and Sunday mornings. Golf clubs understand you know, where they've got greater um, or, sorry, or lesser uh, utilisation in their course. That's where I think the T-sheet does come into it, um, its own because then they can then start uh, really, I guess, Shaping their products in order to actually make those um, free unused tea times um, turn into money, uh, for better word, be it through flexible membership, be it through green fees and how they're going to be basically promoting that. So I didn't think it is a case of it's one or the other. I think there's a healthy balance between the two. Do you think that's going to be the nub of it? You made an interesting point there about the utilisation of poorer times. I mean, I'm sure that even as we move into 2022 and 2023, those peak times at golf clubs are still going to be very, very busy because memberships are by nature now extremely active. They'll want to play in competitions. They'll want to play at weekends. But do you think the key for... um, uh, maintaining the gains through the pandemic are are, are in these off-peak midweek times by by nature where you know they have been full for the last year or so prior to recently and keeping them busy in the future is going to be the big thing. Uh, definitely, I, it brings us on to sort of the, the working from home question as to what the new uh, sort of norm is going to be. Um, I, I think that you know there definitely is going to be increased demand in some midweek spaces when people's working patterns, you know, have changed. You know, could it be every other Friday that people are working from home or is it Wednesdays that people are working from home if they have particularly long commutes and they're staying overnight sort of on a Tuesday and a Thursday night to minimise their uh, costs as far as hotel accommodation? These type of things that are all things that will basically have an impact on T-sheets. And so, yeah, being able to actually monitor, understand where you've got capacity and how you can drive people to those spaces is key because from a full member's perspective, if they want to have the ability to have you no know, T-sheets and roll-ups, etc., what they want to do is they want to maximise the amount of revenue they're getting in through the club to their membership 
prescriptions don't increase year on year to have that ability to be able to choose what is pretty much you know the top uh key times throughout the t sheet so that's definitely where it's going to have to move to um and this is yeah. your wheelhouse, right? I mean, you know, this is where the majority of your members are playing. I mean, I, I appreciate there will be people who have uh, who buy the points membership for your clubs who want to play in some peak times, but it's not particularly practical for them to do so, is it? I mean, you are specialising in providing people to golf clubs to play at off peak off peak periods. Exactly that, definitely. And you know, we've got some great statistics on on what we actually do. You know, 70% of utilisation uh, across our partner sites is after 1pm. Um, they typically book, as a flexible member, about you know, two to three days in advance of tea time. So that is very much you know, what we do. We're, we, we're very good at it as well, in actually driving the revenue through there. Um, and then moving people along that journey so that they then become a full member. And it all comes down to really the profitability that a club can actually derive um, from their tee sheet. Um, it, it's not necessarily you know, a difficult process. It's looking at saying, how much does it cost for me to get a member in? Are other people able to do it cheaper because they can bring economies of scale to it and therefore I can buy it at a cheaper price compared to if I did it myself? Um, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um very interesting time coming up then one that we obviously haven't seen in golf i mean uh, clearly your uh, warning is probably too strong a phrase but you're telling golf clubs to be cautious and be prepared and get ready for the the shift that is coming so they can make the best out of it is that right yeah i saying there is some clear opportunity um ahead uh if we do nothing then yes that definitely would be a warning because then don't be surprised that you won't get what you're expecting. Um, All the markets are moving in the direction whereby it's going to be more expensive, uh, going to be less money in people's pockets next year. And there's a lot more competition out there now for where people are going to be spending their money. Um, So it's making sure that golf basically keeps in step with the rest of uh, industries that are trying to capture that money. Um, and it's very easy for us to make ourselves more attractive as well, because there's lots of great benefits that you can bring in the form of membership um, uh, and other programs in place, such as tuition, you know, everything that a golf club has to offer. Um, we should be basically promoting it as much as we possibly can do because uh, we've seen that people have taken up the sport in the lockdown. Um, it's capturing and, and just basically making sure we, we keep that interest. Yeah. Um, well, interesting times ahead for golf. Thanks for joining me again, Alistair, on the From the Clubhouse podcast. That's all right. Pleasure. Thank you, Steve. <laughs>